welcome to the Black Light Roundtable. I am your host, Sierra Cobb. Black Light Roundtable is a space that is used for unheard voices of criminal and social justice issues that many face in America today. Welcome, and I hope you enjoy the show. Sponsored by Emancipate NC. Welcome, Black Light listeners. Thank you for tuning in. Today is our first live show, um, and I have some very special guests. I have Daydon Wickisher and Nisha Rogers, and hopefully Dawn Blairgrove, which is Executive Director of Emancipate NC, will be with us later. So today, we will be speaking about Jim Crow and his policing and how we still have to deal with that today is very prevalent, hasn't went anywhere. Um, so I'm gonna give y'all a little background of who Jim Crow is, if you didn't know, most should know. The segregation and disenfranchisement laws known as Jim Crow represented a formal codified system of racial segregation that dominated the American South for three quarters of a century, beginning in the 1890s. The laws affected most every aspect of daily life, mandating segregation of schools, parks, libraries, drinking fountains, restrooms, buses, trains, restaurants. Whites only and colored signs were a constant reminder of enforced racial order, which we still have today, except you don't have the whites only or colored only signs that you used to see back in the 1800s, but Jim Crow policing and laws are still alive and still thriving, especially in the black community. So I'm going to open it up for Daydon or Anisha to speak on, first of all, what do you feel about how Jim Crow laws are still able to be alive and thriving in the South. Um, you know, well, you know, as a member of like of my Penduzio organization that we formed here in Greenville, North Carolina, we feel like you know Jim Crow or Jim Crowism was nothing but a, 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 a product of colonialism. You know that we still face as African people in this country. You know that we still are, are you know, bound by a dominant culture, which is, you know, white superiority to be, you know, subjected to, to be, you know, put in a position where we are not able to, you know, live a life of self-determination. And so we're still bound by those conditions, even in 2022, you know, despite what some people may say about how far we have made it or what we may have overcome, which, you know, we, we, we have to be, you know, transparent, overcome a certain amount of things, but it, it's only to a point where it only, you know, uh, it's beneficial to that same, um, you know, status quo. So it's like, you know, in order for black people to be truly free, we feel like, you know, we have to get rid of all modes of exploitation and oppression. And, you know, Jim Crow is just an extension of uh, colonialism here in this country. So, Daydon, let me, uh, first of all, can you tell us a little bit more about the organization that you're with? Yeah, oh, yes. So uh, Mopinduzi is an organization that is fashioned, you know, after, you know, you know, the black radical tradition, like the Black Panther Party, uh, RAM, uh, and other organizations that was black led and had the, the thought 
that um, we were all connected as a people. And the struggle is not just against uh, uh, racism, but against, you know, uh, uh, extra exploitative system, which is capitalism and imperialism. And until we can get, you know, rid of those things, will we be, you know, able to really live true uh, self-determined lives? So our organization, you know, is kind of fastened under those, um, you know, under those modes and under those practices that goes out and tries to educate uh, black and brown people around why it is that, you know, we don't really owe this country any loyalty to a degree where we try to, you know, sustain certain things that was built off our very own oppression and why we need to, like, you know, alleviate ourselves of those things and live in a new transformational society that is more beneficial. Exactly, exactly. And I think that we need more organizations that, especially in the South, that will educate our people on their rights. And so they're not letting a white man take over because they know we don't know our rights. And I'm glad that you have an organization that is showing people of color that you have this right and that you have to stand for and how to stand for it. Right. So um, can you just give us, since you are like in the South of North Carolina, a lot of people don't understand that North Carolina is really deep in racism. Um, what have you experienced out there in Pitt County as far as policing? Um, I'm gonna let my sister answer that. Nisha, what? Two broken fingers and five screws. <laughs> <laughs> so Nisha, um, will you kindly tell our listeners what type of encounter you had with law enforcement? And really, we want to uplift how you felt at that moment when you seen those blue lights come on behind you. Oh, um, I ain't scared of nothing. <laughs> but honey... <laughs> It won't the blue lights that scared me. It was how they surrounded the car that scared me. Walk us through, if you can. You okay. ain't got to go into detail, but just walk us through. Um, I'm driving through on um, neighborhood. I ain't speeding or anything. I probably won't even going over twenty. Um, they they were deep. I guess they are. They was attacking everything, stopping that night, and I won't do nothing but try and pick up my baby to go home. But when we come through there, the first truck looked at me funny. My windows were down, so I kept on going. I ain't done that. When I get to like the intersection right there, it was a police sitting there. So I gone through because I ain't done that. He get behind me. Soon I pass him, he hit the lights. Okay, jump out. I pull over. He jump out. Talk about, I stopped you because your tags did. My tags ain't dead. My I was driving my kids' car. My kids were like, the tags ain't dead. Insurance paid. I got all the proof. Stick good. You just want to be, uh, she going off on. So he um sitting there, he told me, your tags are dead. I said, um, he said, get step out of the vehicle. I said, why I got to step out of the vehicle if my for a tag, a traffic stop? What I do? So they surrounded the car at this point. I'm like, all of this for a traffic ticket. I ain't getting out no car till my representative get here. So my phone was dead, and I just kept telling people to call 252-624 if they were calling daytime. <laughs> and uh, I did I knew if my brother come, it'll be all right. Like, so 
By this point, he told me, we ain't waiting for no representative. He started grabbing me. And I was like, I'm still sitting in the car. He's grabbing me. So when he, he grabbed my hand again, I heard it crack. So I said, oh, this motherfucker, this something broke my wrist. That's how I see. Cause that's what it felt like. So he snatched me out, throw me on the ground, charged me for resisting public officer. And whole time I am talking junk. Y'all done effed up. Like I'm just, I'm just talking junk. I'm mad at this point. Cause it's like all white men. And then when they get to put me in the car, a lady cop do come. So I still ask him like, what, what's this for? All of y'all for me, my baby out there. She, she's 16. And she ain't never been in no type of situation like this. So she out there crying, talking about she a child. They talking about she got weed in the bubblegum wrapper. Um, oh, my goodness. They just, that was like on us. It felt like, you know how you watch the movies and mm -hmm. how the clans used to hunt black folks at night? Mm -hmm. That's exactly how it felt. And even like the next couple nights, I could tell like what shift, it's different shifts. Certain shifts work certain nights. Some nights we don't have no issues, but the way they ride around my house and they go out there and make a donut turn in the middle of the street. Now, I live in, on my strip. There's nothing but old people, so you ain't even got no business harassing over here. Um, right. But they just do that intimidation tactic, and it's almost like you got to watch them because you don't know if they're going to put something in my truck, uh, car uh, 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 put something in my yard because he came behind the yard. Like, my son was like, Mom, they trailing, they trailing, they they on the back street. Don't nobody stay back there. And they just be circling. So it almost feel like you got to watch how you see in the movies like the Malcolm X movie and the daddy used to have to watch at night for over his house before he got killed. Like, that's how I feel like I'm just trapped in a situation where I can't do nothing. You don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, and I can't do nothing. And well, I what did they to... say when you told them that your hand was broke, or you thought it was broke? They didn't say nothing. They put my hands behind my back, put me in the thing, and everything in the um in the car, and the whole time in the back seat. He joking. He said I had a shirt that had Chucky on it, and he talked about yo yo um how he said that thing. He said your shirt's gonna give me nightmares. I said, no, the raft you about to feel gonna give you nightmares. That's how I'm trying. Like, he, he went in there trying to be funny. So, um, it was just when I got got to the master, the master was like, this the only charge. I'm talking about they were digging for stuff. They were trying to put something there. He still didn't charge me with that citation. So, what was his reason to pull you up? Because you said your tags was, then that was it. His tags were dead. He didn't give me the citation. And you know, nine times I say even like the master that was saying, just resist the public uh public office to obstruction. He said yes. The master looked at me and I looked at him. He was a black guy. I ain't say nothing to him. He ain't say nothing to me. But it was to the point like that's the only thing. What what was the proper cause for stopping her? Like that's how he was looking like. Ain't nothing else going with it. They kept trying to find, so they kept running my name. And I was like, they gave me my bond. I said, oh, I'll be out in 30 minutes. And that's why I was just talking junk to them. But it's just like, and then they put the little article in the paper, talking junk, talking about allegedly said. Mm. 
after they stayed on, allegedly said her hand was broke. Right. But they knew they broke it. They knew they broke it, and I guess he didn't take it serious till we had to file a grievance, and the pictures start circling on the internet of an ultrasound on my hand with five screws in. So you shouldn't have to take all of that for them to know. They knew what they were doing from jump. But for them to do that in front of your children is unacceptable. It's not. What do you plan to do from here? Like, are you going to start getting involved in organizations that help bring awareness to how Black people encounter police on a daily basis? Because people just don't think that we have these encounters. They think we make them up. Be honest with you, I already... I've been doing this work for like three, three, four years now. I've been a member of my producer since it started back in 2019. And um, we do this work. It's just, you never think it'll happen to you. Right, right. So tell the audience how important it is for Black women to be in spaces like this. Or why you feel like we should be in spaces like this. Because Black women, we birthed the nation. We birthed the communities. We birth leaders. So as the black mother standpoint, you have to be out here front row center for your children, for your, especially your sons. They targeted more than females. So you just got to be out here and, and be awareness and, and share and try to nurture your community the best way you can. And a lot of them, I mean, a lot of people are scared. Like they... They'll take it. They'll keep taking it. Police keep doing stuff, and they just take it. I know one guy that get terrorized and they're like, week to the point they go in his car and tear out his radio and stuff if they don't find nothing. Like, stuff like that. You don't have to take it. But they scared to stand, fight back. They are. But I think that's scared. Go ahead, Dada. No, no, real quick. I was just going to say, you know, and that's a tactic of, you know, Jim Crow, you know what I mean? To really like, you know, forcefully put black people in a position where, you know, they don't feel like they can fight back or they don't feel like they can join an organization that's a part of a fight back. Because what happened to Nisha was due to the fact that the police have been raging for about a good two or three weeks because of, you know, an unfortunate murder that happened in the black community. And after that that murder, the police went on a rampage as if the whole black community uh, was guilty of murder. And several people was um, illegally uh, stopped, searched, and arrested. But, you know, out of all of those people, it's like, the, I mean, not to you know, sound any kind of way, but out of all of those people, um, Nisha is the only one that has really, like, showed, you know, the willingness to step forward and to fight and to do what's necessary to make sure that, you know, this doesn't happen to other, you know, Black women in Greenville or black people, period, in Greenville. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, just, you know, speaking, I think, you know, that shows a very, you know, definite amount of strength that needs, you know, that that's needed, you know, in organizations. It's very needed. I agree. Why do you think that our people are scared to stand up? Um, They feel powerless. Yeah, I, I unite with that. I think people don't really feel, you know... Because oftentimes, you see, uh, people see very well because the U.S. propaganda machine is like, you know, you know they're very meticulous when it comes to certain things. So black people have seen uh, black people go through, you know, the judicial system and still not get the end result that they want. Uh, they have seen uh, lawsuits that have not resulted into the victory that's needed. 
So it's like, you know, a, a lot of times we don't necessarily necessarily see uh, any outcome that is going to be beneficial or oftentimes leaves black people with an understanding that maybe it's not, it's, it's not, it's not useful. But, you know, that's when Emancipate and Wapenduzi jump in, you see what I'm saying, to show that alternate way of, you know, going at the, 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 the power structure and the status quo to show black people that you can be, you know, self-determined on your own, by your own means. And that's the way that we have to encounter it. You know, we don't, we don't necessarily have to, you know, play by a colonial system on, you know, on several fronts, but have to challenge them to where they feel as though they have to, you know what I mean, either bend to the demands of the people or just, you know, take whatever come with you. Right. So in y'all's both opinion, how can we get there? Like, I feel like we have a lot of direction, but I don't think it's enough push. So how can we empower our people to finally start standing up to these governmental systems? First thing I would say, a lot it's a lot of organizations out here for Black people. But the majority have a crab in the bucket mentality. And if we join together, organizing, educating, and uplifting our community, we have a powerful force that they can't reject. But you got this organization working against this one and that one. We can't get nowhere like that. And Greenville's small. And I'm sure... Greenwood and I, yeah, the only thing really you take away ECU inviting, we have nothing. So, I mean, this, the the collective force is what's needed. And we, people not getting it. I agree. Daydon, you want to put some input on that? Um, yeah, I just second Nisha. I think um, the important thing is joining an organization um, and not just any organization, an organization that is or has an understanding that, you know, it is going to take a different approach to challenge a lot of the issues uh, that we have. And also to um, a education, a great education campaign um, is needed in our communities. You see what I'm saying? Because one of the things, going back to Jim Crow, even slavery, like one of the things um, that we had to endure that was a great attack was, um, you know, uh, the disinformation, the, yeah, excuse me, and the, the amount of uneducation that uh, we had to endure during them days. And it's like, you know, uh, oftentimes if we depend on certain sources to get our information, then we're not getting everything in its entirety. You know what I mean? And right. so it's like we have to educate our people around what we call the black radical tradition that shows our people and educates our people around the history of struggle and resistance because that is what got us free oftentimes and that's what got us to the point that we're in right now that we still have to struggle you see what i'm saying and that is the that is the history and that is the lessons that's i think and we at my Penduzi thing is needed in um in the communities is that it's okay in a sense to resist because one of the one of the the one of the propaganda machines against you know nisha is they're trying to make her seem like she's just a belligerent, you know, mad black black woman. You know what I mean? Right. And that, um, and you know, and a lot of people, you see what I'm saying, can take that out of context and believe it. But you know, what should really be applauded is the strength and you know the courage to resist. You see what I'm saying? An amount of 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 white domination. You know what I mean? That's right. trying to either cause harm or cause terror. 
in that particular moment of time because it's like you can't like you can't applaud Angela Davis. You can't applaud uh, Harriet Tubman, uh, Sojourner Truth, and Asada Shakur, right? Because you see a, a lot of you know black you know elitist people. You know what I'm saying? Oftentimes they walk around with these figures on their shirt and not applaud Nisha because she's carrying that same spirit of resistance that these women have been organizing and educating for so many years. You know, right, right, right. I agree, and I want you to speak more in a little bit on to why we're able to deny if we feel like we're being threatened while we're able to deny their force. But I want to give Dom Blairgrove, our executive director of Emancipate NC, um, a time to speak. She finally joined us. Thank you, Dom, for being here. Uh, thank you for having me. I apologize for the technical difficulties that I had getting joined. But um, I was able to listen up until this point, and I don't think y'all needed me much. <laughs> Between Daydon and Nisha, y'all have um, truly, I think, uh, breathed life into the concept of Jim Crow policing. What we see in Greenville, what we are seeing in Nisha's case is unconscionable. And it is a blatant a blatant attempt to dehumanize Black women, dehumanize Black children. Because um, let's not forget, when Nisha's fingers were broken brutally by Greenville Police Department officers, her children watched. One of the questions that y'all asked earlier was, why is it so hard to find folks who are willing to stand up it is because of these very public shows of brutality against people who do stand up. Um, Don, you went out. Uh, they've just shifted. Right? So we're no longer burning crosses on people's lawns, but we are pulling people over with incredible show of force by law enforcement to intimidate and then using real physical force to beat literally, the Black people of Greenville back into the corner that they are supposed to stay in. Um, Jim Crow policing is about white supremacy. It is about maintaining white supremacist status quo. And people like Nisha, people like Daydon, organizations like Emancipate NC are here to take a stand and say no more. It is important that everybody who is listening understands that we are safer when we take these stands together. We are safer when we take these stands collectively. We are safer when we are not standing alone. So Daydon and Nisha, Malpinduzi, Emancipate NC, we stand together in community, but we also need all the other folks of Greenville to stand with us. And in numbers, in power, that is how we create safety. That is how we create safety from uh, Jim Crow police and from uh, oppressive systems. We create and build power with numbers. So we need people to support folks who are taking the real hard stances. I agree. I agree. Dadai, you want to comment? Nisha? I don't think nothing can be said after that. <laughs> you know, don't always come in. Y'all don't over. stop it. Stop it. <laughs> like, nobody needs to say nothing after Dawn speaks. She just takes it over. It's a wrap. It's a wrap. But yeah, I mean, honestly, that's what we got to start doing because if we don't 
then they're always going to have that control and power over us. And they know that them putting fear in us and whatever length it is that, that will keep us hush mouth. And it, it, same thing with people incarcerated. They go through the same thing. They're not able to speak out about what they're going through because of retaliation. So it makes them not want to speak. And if we keep continuing to be silenced, then we're going to keep going in the same cycle. And I think now is the time to keep pushing with Martin Luther King, I Have a Dream, and everything that we accomplished over the decades that they have taken from us. We have to mobilize again and mobilize stronger and smarter so that we can achieve as a community because they're going to keep tearing our communities down. They're, they're not going to stop. And if I could just um, jump in, I also want to make sure that our listeners are really making the connection between Jim Crow policing and not just police interactions, but the way that the police force, the way that law enforcement is used as a militarized form of domestic terrorism. Um, Because Nisha having her fingers broken is, again, unconscionable. But also be clear that we are, when you see law enforcement officers, sheriffs, sheriff's departments um, showing up at polling sites or making sure before elections that they are reminding people who are on parole or probation or even if it's erroneous at this point, which it is, that they can't vote and watching them to see if they're going into polling stations to try to create a chilling effect on folks exercising their right to vote. That is also Jim Crow policing. That is also a part of what law enforcement does to maintain white supremacist status quo. Um, And as we head into these elections um, that are coming up, it is imperative that people understand that, again, there is safety in numbers, that we keep each other safe, and that when we all stand together, we get protection from one another. We get protection from our numbers, be that in a car, alone on the side of the road, or at at, at the ballot box, wherever it is. It is imperative that we are supporting one another. We are watching out for one another. We are making sure that when one of us is harmed, we treat that harm as though all of us have been harmed. Right. And just to piggyback on what you said, Dawn, that that is too Jim, Jim Crow policing when you know I hear people say, well, I don't want to vote because the system's not working for us. Well, that's what they want you to think. They want you to not go vote because they know if you don't vote, then nothing's going to change. So they want to put that ideology in your mind that the system's not going to work for you no matter what you do. But as Don said, when you show up in numbers, things change. Numbers speak. And as long as you're showing up doing your part, then that's the only way to make things change. Right. And just to to, to go back, because support was mentioned, and that's like that's the most critical thing when we talk about Nisha and moving forward with uh, Nisha's situation. And so just real quick, you know, to the listeners is, um, if you would like to support, there is a, um, there's a um, petition page. Um, if you go to the Mapinduzi website, that's uh, M-A-P-I-N-D-U-Z-I, Mapinduzi, and that's uh, found on Facebook. Um, you will find a link to a petition page. We asking people to sign that. In that, there's some, um, you know, you know, some calls for support 
and there's uh, demands that um, the city, you know what I mean, uh, be held accountable in ways that the officer be fired, responsible for uh, brutalizing Nisha in that way. Um, so, you know, and then Nisha has a court date coming up on October the 5th. Yeah, we asked some people in the Greenville area and those, you know, close to Greenville, if they can come out to come out and support uh, Nisha and show, like uh, Sarah, like you just said, the numbers that people are watching and paying attention. Because I think one of the things that we face here in uh, Greenville, North Carolina, is uh, the idea, the police have this idea, is because we're so isolated and not as, you know, seen as places like Raleigh, Durham, and, you know, larger areas, that they have the ability to uh, terrorize black communities in the way that they do, just to like give some numbers, right? In Greenville, North Carolina, uh, black people only make up 37% of the population, but we make over uh, 52% of all traffic stops, you know? So many words you're saying that they pull over half of the population, if not all the population, black population in Greenville. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? You know, <laughs> we make majority when it comes to all law enforcement uh, encounters. The black community where we have an office at, uh, uh, is plagued by the presence of a police substation that's not even a mile down the street from the main police station. You see what I'm saying? So like Don had mentioned, you see what I'm saying? The institution of policing was built and is sustained of controlling and, you know, oppressing black, black brown and other people. So it's mm -hmm. like, you know, we really have to make a clear look and really decide as a society, you see what I'm saying? What needs to be done as far as this institution and, you know, healthier communities, you know what I mean? So, yeah, he's getting involved answer a lot of those questions. And I want y'all to understand, Greenville's not that big. And he, you just heard him say a police station and a substation. Like, you can literally drive through Greenville in a couple of minutes. So why do you have a substation? Less than a mile. You can walk there. You see what I'm saying? And it's not, it's not even operating. Like, there's people in the community that has been, like, in dire needs of assistance. And for some reason, they act like crime only operates between the hours of eight in the morning to like seven p.m. <laughs> so if you feel like that, then why do you why did you waste money on a substation when that could have been put in the community? Right. So let's see. Her. That's a fantastic question. Let's answer it because we ask questions like that a lot, but we don't really answer them in ways that are truthful and that are honest. The real reason why that substation is there, just like substations all over Raleigh and all over this country exist in Black communities, is because the police act as an occupying force. It is a physical manifestation of the terror that law enforcement spews on Black communities and the terror, both psychological and physical, that it uses to maintain uh, control of black bodies. That substation is there so that whether it, whether there is ever a law enforcement body there or not, that substation is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Reminding you and reminding the people that live in that community, people that look like you and me, that you are not free to move without the permission of law enforcement. That you and everything you do in your community has to be co-signed, has to be approved by the white establishment. That's why these substations are there. They don't ever have to put anybody in that substation for it to be, uh, for it to serve the purpose 
of being an intimidating factor for black and brown folks and a tool in upholding white supremacy. Now, what we need to do is disassociate, untether our ideas of personal safety from law enforcement. Because while they may say that this law enforcement, um, this building is there and these substations are there to create uh, safer communities, what we know for sure is that law enforcement doesn't keep us safe. Was it keeping the community safe when it stopped a mother in the middle of the, of the night about an expired tag and broke her fingers? No. no. What it was doing was controlling the movement of black bodies. So it is imperative that we are all very, very clear about the role that law enforcement actually plays in the community and are intentional and deliberate about untethering what law enforcement actually does from the idea of personal or even community safety. Because law enforcement was not and does not function as a form of safety. It was not created to create safety. It was created to maintain white supremacist status quo, period. Period, like she said. I mean, it came, it was developed by slave patrol. It went from slave patrol to the enforcers, to law enforcement, and they're still here. So what does that tell you? That means we have to start making sure that we keep our eyes on what's going on because how are they able to put a substation and us not make noise about where this money, like where this money came from and why was it going to that and not going to the community? Like how many food deserts are in Greenville? How many kids don't have a house in Greenville? Like it could have went to so many different things after school programs but yet you have an empty substation that doesn't have any police officers there just to sit and let black people know, look, we're watching you some, some way, somehow we're here and we're not going anywhere. And so that's why it's important to be, to have numbers and show up in numbers collectively. No, you, I agree. And, and that's one of the things um, I've been doing with, um, you know, support of uh, emancipators trying to do is say, hey, we need to put an end of a substation and, you know, create something more beneficial for the community, which could be a resource center, you know, which which can serve a purpose, you know, for, for helping build a healthier community rather than, like Don said, having this occupational force just watch over. Because right now, like, I think what, in Greenville, Black people, the majority only make, like, 20000 annually. Like the we like a third of the city is in poverty, but the police hold half the budget. They get a budget of twenty eight million dollars annually, you know. But it's like you know this this <laughs> it has to be questioned. You see what I'm saying? It's like black people are living in poverty while the police get a twenty eight million dollar budget, you know. So it's like you know. Yeah. Well, if y'all ain't know, just know emancipate gonna hold you responsible, and we are gonna ask questions, and we want to see budgets. We want to see everything. And if they done, they done, could you talk a little bit about, about the cop watch program that you're developing? Oh, yes. Yes. So, uh, and, uh, uh, emancipate a collaborant to, uh, design a, what we say is community self-defense. I think that was mentioned earlier. Like we have the right to practice that you see. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to find a way to document, not even find a way we're, we're, we're doing that work to document a lot of these encounters and report them to build up enough rapport where we can really, you know, bring this on to a larger body or just present it on a national stage. You see what I'm saying? So what we're trying to develop is zones in each community where the community uh, takes the responsibility, like, you know, they empower themselves to take action 
of what goes on in that community and they report it back to uh, Mopinduzi and Mopinduzi, you know, reports it back to um, Emancipate. You see what I'm saying? Well, we work collectively to, uh, you know, store this data, uh, take it to where it needs to be taken and just, you know, try to help out the people in the process as much as possible. You know, because um, one thing, I, I mean, I'm going to just say this. One thing I can truthfully say is that Emancipate uh, really, like, takes on a full approach when it comes to, like, directly dealing with the people. And I think, um, you know, I think I think that, you know, it just sets apart. So, um, yeah, so the Cotwash program is designed to do just that. It's to take statistical evidence to build it and uh, really try to hold uh, the police accountable. But it not only does that, though, in our eyes, it also builds up uh, uh, the power that needs to be to give a, a, you know, a force of self-determination into communities, to show the community that we can and we have the right to be able to say what goes on in our community, to say what resources are taken out of our community, what's, what needs to be spent on our community, and things like that. I think that is a great program that I'm... I think that needs to be a nationwide thing. And I don't want y'all to forget that Emancipate has their own police database. So if you have an encounter with police, you can go to our website and you can report that. We also have it for correctional officers as well. So if you have a problem with a correctional officer, please go to our website and report anything that you're encountering with police officers or correctional officers. Because it's important that we keep this data and hold them accountable because we see our state leaders definitely aren't going to do it. Definitely aren't going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, we waiting on them. We in trouble. So y'all, we it's, it's time to really sit down and take back the power and stop making excuses and saying, oh, well, I don't know if it's going to work or I don't want to go vote because I don't think it's going to change anything. Well, ain't nothing going to change if you don't take the initiative to do it. And that's why us at Emancipate we do it. We do the work. We step in the spaces for the people that are marginalized and we help them to the best of our ability. So we all have to start doing that. Not just emancipate, not just mopping doozy. We all have to do that if we want a better NC. Nisha, you got anything you want to add, Dawn? I just want to say I appreciate emancipate and mopping doozy. Thank y'all for everything y'all doing, have done, and getting ready to do. <laughs> Well, we definitely appreciate you sharing your story. A lot of people, like you said, don't want to share that story. They don't want to let people know what police do to people, especially Black people, every day. So thank you for sharing your story. We appreciate that. And I just want to add, um, as we close out, that Emancipate NC is here to stand with the people. We understand and we appreciate that it is scary to take a stand. It is scary to think about radically changing uh, systems and radically abolishing law enforcement and the carceral system. But I promise you, if you walk on this journey with us, we will get there and it will be it will create a better community for you. It will create better communities for your children. We are here to walk with you towards abolition. And I know it's scary. And I know it's something that um, feels very, very frightening. But all great change is. All revolutionary change is. So come and walk with us on this road to abolition. 
come and meet with Malvin Doozy, get involved with the work that they are doing, get involved with the education that they are giving around these types of programs in Greenville and all over the state of North Carolina. But we need you to walk with us. Please. That's the only way we could change it, is if we walk together and hold each other's hand. Because as we always say, we keep us safe. Right. And that's it. Any last words there, Don? No, just I really um, appreciate you for opening up this space for, um, you know, Mothendoozy and Nisha to be able to, you know, really, uh, you know, uh, get the side that needs to be given. Because oftentimes, you know, black people are not given that opportunity to really tell what happened because, you know, the media is not geared to to really go over that or expose just how uh, uh, insidious the system is. So, like, you know, I think black media um, that you're creating is needed, is highly needed. And so, you know, I congratulate you. And um, I appreciate you at the same time. Thank you. Um, that's what the space is for. And that's what Emancipate does. We bring new curveballs in every way to level the playing field. And the podcast is used for everybody who has been impacted by the governmental system to uplift you, to humanize you, to get out and expose what is going on. And so... Come join us anytime. If you have any questions, comments, we have an email at blacklight at emancipatenc.org. Uh, we would love to hear your comments. And if you would like to be on the show, you're always welcome. I want to thank my guests, Daydon, Nisha, and Dawn for coming in and just giving us all of this good information. I appreciate you. Thank you. appreciate you and appreciate this platform. Thank you, Sierra. Thank you, guys. Well, y'all have a good one. We'll catch y'all on the next show. And emancipatenc.org, we have a newsletter. Please sign up for that. We have everything that you can imagine on the website. We have swag. We let you know what's going on in North Carolina. So please, emancipatenc.org, go look us up, follow us, join us in the movement. Y'all take care.